0: Part nine today I want to talk to you about this parental blessings that sounds a lot better right last week when I said parental curses the whole crowd just moaned for a second they did the second service as well which was really funny but today we're talking about parental blessings things that we can do that can make those who come after us make their life a lot easier even if you're not a parent, there are still decisions and choices you can make in life that can cause those whom you leave behind to be more blessed than they were because you were a part of their life. Uh, the scripture from last week, Deuteronomy 5, 9 through 10 says the iniquity of the parents can visit the children of the third and fourth generation. That's the bad part. Here's the great part. God says, I show mercy and love. Remember the word mercy. You'll need to know that in a little bit. And love to those who obey me. You need to remember this too. Up to a thousand generations. That's really good news. And we just sang a song about that earlier today. So we can leave those who came after us. We can leave them money. We can leave them possessions. We can leave them cars. We can leave them property. But the best thing we could ever leave those that come after us is something called the blessing. The blessing is when you leave a faith-filled life to your grandchildren. The blessing is whenever you leave a godly habit like coming to church. And now, because you came to church regularly and you brought some, now they're coming to church regularly. And on and on it goes, the, you can leave uh, uh, the, the heart to tithe, to honor God financially. And then you can cause your grandkids to do that. And on and on. You can leave uh, faith in miracles and believing for big things to those that come after you. But that's what the blessing is. The blessing is the most important thing we could ever leave to those who come after us uh, for generations to come. You know, in the Bible, when it talks about uh, so-and-so, begot, so-and-so, begot, so-and-so, you know, you're reading through the Bible in a year and you get to that place in Leviticus and a little bit and and you just skip. You always skip that and you tell everybody, I read the Bible in a year, but you skip the begots. Don't ever skip the begots again. The begots are there for a reason in the Bible so that generations to come could say, this is where we started going to church. It's because of this one that we started honoring God. It's because of this one that there's joy in our family life. This one brought this part of the blessing. This one brought this part. And now here we are living a blessed life, not because anything we did, but because it was passed down to us from generation to generation to generation. So I have three points for you today. They all start with the letter C, and point number 1 is this: Choose the blessing. Choose the blessing. I told you last week there's something more powerful than the generational curse, and that is the generational choice. It says in Deuteronomy 30:19, "I give you the choice between blessings and curses. Choose the blessing so that you and your descendants will prosper." Um, you and I, we never make a choice alone. Even if you're single, you live by yourself, you, you ne- no choice you make is, is a choice. Everything you do affects the people around you and it affects this world. Uh, I want you to imagine next time somebody hurts your feelings or you are tempted to hold a grudge and you know, gossip or let them. I want you to imagine you have your children, your grandchildren and your great grandchildren sitting next to you. Because whatever you do in that time, it can be passed down even through the blood. Um, If you feel like um, being lazy in life and not giving it your all or having a lack of integrity or, or cutting corners behind the scenes, don't do it. You got your children, your grandchildren and your great grandchildren sitting right next to you with every choice that you make. You're affecting their lives, whether you even have met them or not, whether they've been born or not. Our life can be a stumbling block. That causes those after we're in heaven to to fall like we did over and over again. Or our life can be uh, like a staircase, stepping stones that can cause those that come after us to rise higher than we did because we left the right things to them. But after today's sermon is over, you can no longer ever blame your parents for anything negative in your life because you have a choice, believe it or not. Um, Ezekiel 18.2, God said, what do you mean by this proverb, the parents ate sour grapes, the children are left with a sour taste. As long as I live, says the Lord, you shall no longer say this anymore. Here's what God was saying. These people were saying, well, the reason we have these problems is because my parents were so poor. The reason I have these problems is because my grandparents, they they had heart disease, they had diabetes, and now we're suffering because of it. And God said, if I'm in your life, you no longer have to be bound by the past. If I'm in your life, you can always choose the blessing. Um, I don't know if any of you have ever heard of uh, Ernest Hemingway, one of the greatest writers of his day. I mean, he had the greatest imagination probably on Earth at the time, and it was all through his family. They were all very creative people. But Ern- Ernest Hemingway in 1961, he took his own life and he committed suicide. What's sad about that is five years later, his sister committed suicide. 16 years after that, his brother committed suicide, two more suicides in the family. Up until 1996, his granddaughter in Florida took her own life as well. What's very interesting about this story is back in 1928, Ernest Hemingway's father was having a a, a spell of depression in his life. And for some reason or another, I guess he thought there was no hope, but he took his own life as well. Now, I would love to find a DeLorean and get that thing up to 88 miles an hour and go back in time to Ernest Hemingway's father in 1928, the day before he killed himself and say, listen, man, let me tell you what's going to happen. If you pull this trigger, if you do this to yourself, if you end your own life, it's going to set a series of dominoes into effect and it's going to cause this curse to be on your family and all the way from all your children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren in 1996, they're going to take their own life. So, dude, listen, you need to get in church. You need to give your life to Jesus. You need to go see a doctor, find a support group. You need to do whatever it takes not to give in to this temptation. Because if you do, it will affect people for hundreds of, for hundred years uh, continuing. All through generations. it's going to affect the whole world if you do this. I believe he will say, okay, okay, okay. I'll do whatever it takes. I don't want my kids to suffer. I don't want my grand, my great-grandchildren. I don't want them to suffer. Now, we don't have a DeLorean that can take us back to, the, back to the future. They can take us back to the, they can take us back in time. But, but, we do have the present day right now. And I can tell you right now, if you don't choose the blessing, what's going to happen in your family line a 100 years from today? Who's going to suffer? What temptation are they going to give into because you started in the wrong direction with your life? Um, Back in uh, Noah's day, when he finally got off the ark, the first thing he did was he got drunk and naked. Now, I don't understand the naked part. he does, but, I, I, but I'm just kidding, but I understand the drunk part because he was on a boat with his family and animals, and some of y'all can't handle two days of Thanksgiving with your relatives from up north. You get drunk too, and so, so Noah gets drunk when he gets off the ark, and he's drunk and naked, and he has three kids, and, and one of his sons, Ham, had a son as well, so one of Noah's grandkids is alive at the time, and so two of Noah's sons, when he gets drunk, they cover him up. The other son basically gossips and brags and laughs about it. I can't believe Dad got drunk. What's wrong with him? And because of that poor choice, Ham was cursed. And it says in Genesis 9.25, Cursed be Canaan, son of Ham. It's interesting. Ham made the mistake, but it didn't just affect him. It affected his child. Now, if you know the name Canaan, I'm sure you've heard about it. Bible The Canaanites... The Canaanites lived in the promised land before the Israelites got there and defeated them and wiped them out. They were an evil people, but they were descendants of Ham. And this entire evil nation started with one person's poor choice. Ham makes the mistake, Canaan gets cursed, and all the descendants that come out of him are also cursed. And so hundreds of years go by, Joshua sends some spies into Canaan to spy out the land when they're in there, they meet a prostitute from the lineage of Ham. And it says in Joshua two one, her name was Rahab of Canaan. So basically, this woman grew up in immorality. Everybody around here was just cursed. Everybody around here is worshiping false idols, false gods. They're into the world. Nobody's serving God. Nobody knows about God. It's just been passed down from one generation to the next. So Joshua sends spies in. And they meet Rahab. And these spies are about to get captured. But they tell Rahab about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Interesting that it was a generational God is what they call it. Anyway, so they, they, and she believes. She dares to believe. So she hides these spies on her rooftop. And they don't get captured by the enemy. They make it. And when it's all said and done, Joshua says to the prostitute, What can we do for you because you saved us? She said, I want you to save my family. I want to be part of your tribe. So Rahab meets a Jewish man and Rahab gets saved and her and the Jewish man get married and they have a baby. And in Matthew one, when it goes through the different lineage in Matthew one, verse five, it says Rahab, who was the mother of Boaz, Boaz grew up, became the father of Obed, Obed grew up, became the father of Jesse and Jesse became the father of King David, a prostitute in the lineage of King David all because she made one choice to honor god she could have said god all all i've seen is the curse everybody's cursed they're all everybody around me sleeping with everybody everybody around me spending their money on them everybody around me is prideful how do you expect me to choose the right thing amidst this all i live in myrtle beach god how in the world can i do the right thing have you been to the boulevard have you been to the 501 walmart before god come on it's like a strip club in the One Walmart. Oh, okay. So that's what Rahab was. That's how Rahab felt, right? You want to see something more powerful than this? If you continue in Matthew 1 going through the begots, guess what you get to in verse 16? Joseph, the husband of Mary, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Wait a minute. A prostitute is the 22nd great-grandmother of our Lord Jesus Christ? All because she made one choice. You see, some of you just like right you're one choice away. One choice away. And some of you, I dare say that some of you just come to church, but you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ. That one choice could be for well, forever changes your bloodline. Hundreds of years later, they'll say, oh, this is why this is where everything changed in our family. Um, I'll share something personal with you, and I don't share really personal things you to talk about when you leave church I share it just so you know that I'm I'm just like y'all and I struggle but here's my family tree on my dad's side of the family um before my grandparents my my dad's parents before they died I sat down with my grandma and I asked her a lot of detailed questions about our family and she traced it back to my great 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 grandfather Tiger John Uh, he was a confederate soldier he was a poor farmer and he had mental issues and I think from what it sounded like it was like PTSD either way, he suffered mentally. He had a son named Daryl, which was my great-great-grandfather. Daryl was also a very poor farmer. Uh, he had mental issues. He was abrupt. He got along with nobody. And he would beat his children with sticks out of anger uh, until blood would just pour down their legs. Um, he had three children. Mildred. Uh, Mildred killed herself with razor blades. Um, Margaret, who had the mind of an eight-year-old her entire life. And Margaret had a son named Jimmy who committed suicide with a shotgun. Uh, And then my great grandfather, James Reginald, came from Darrell, And uh, James Reginald is where piano playing started. Uh, But he also had mental issues. He went into fits of rage. He would threaten his family with shotguns. The whole town was afraid of him. And he actually tried to kill all of his children on a regular basis by strangling them. Uh, James Reginald had uh, one, two, three, five children. Vincy, who also played the piano but died young. Bertha, who had mental issues. David, I, who played the guitar, but at 26 years old, he was put in Columbia Mental Institute, uh, where he stayed there for the remainder of his days, and they actually used shock therapy back then. They thought they were helping him, but they would put, my grandma says how they would put um, a piece of wood with cloth, dry cloth in his mouth, and then shock his brain two or three times a week uh, with electricity, thinking they're making him better. Uh, Glenna uh, is is a child of James Reginald. She played the piano. Uh, she was mental uh she married four times and three of her four husbands had accidental deaths uh glenna had two kids gary who has mental issues lh who committed suicide with a shotgun as well uh and then james reginald had my grandfather uh, my grandfather started off um, as a farmer just like his father and his father were very very poor he saw all these mental issues in his life, mediocrity. Uh, my grandfather, like I said, his dad tried to choke him on a regular basis and kill him. And uh, this is what my grandfather saw growing up. And one day, him and my grandma went to church. And my granddad got saved and gave his life to Jesus. And everything changed. Um, they were poor. They, they started off very poor. And, and they, had, they were tobacco farmers. And one day, God spoke to my grandparents. And he said, I want you to invest your money. And they thought, we don't know. We live out in the country. We don't know anything about investing. But God spoke to them and told them to invest into this stock called Coca-Cola. It turned out really well for them, by the way. Um, they, they would build houses without ever having to take out a loan, sell them. My grandfather bought property on, in Polly's Island on the beach on the ocean, built a beach house, sold it for 10 times more than, than, than what they bought. for. They, they died millionaires. But the interesting thing is, as millionaires, you would have never known they had millions and millions of dollars in the bank because from Monday to Saturday, they wore the same outfit every single day. My grandfather had the same jeans, same blue shirt. They had the same Sunday morning outfit they wore every Sunday. In fact, my grandfather had one suit and he had one red tie. And no matter how much food he spilled on his tie, he would never buy a new one. And here's the reason. Because they gave 90% of their income away to God. Now, God requires us to give 10%. Do you know they lived off of 10% of their income and gave 90% away all the years that they lived on earth since the day they got saved? They gave millions and millions of dollars away to ministries all over the world. They sent missions, all, missionaries all over. They built and, and, and financed churches and nobody knew it was them doing it. Nobody congratulated them. Nobody gave them an award. Nobody stood up in front of church and thanked them. They did it because they loved Jesus, and that was it. Uh, When my grandfather got Alzheimer's, uh, all his life he would just give away, he'd walk through Walmart and give away $5 bills. Walk in church. Everybody knew if you just go and greet him, he's going to give you $5. When he started getting Alzheimer's, he got $100 bills confused with $5 bills. So he'd give away $100, and my grandma could not stop him because he was a big, strong man. So my grandma would have to go behind him and say, he meant to give you a five, and she'd have to take back the $100 from everybody. But I'll never forget, as a teenager, I'd be playing the piano in church. And during church, during service, My grandfather would sit on the front row and he would just cry and cry and weep and weep. And I remember how much it embarrassed me at the time because I was a teenager. My friends would say, John Paul, that's your granddad wailing so loud, you know, crying his eyes out. There'd be times where he would walk up on stage during service and put his head on my back and just hug me and hug me with snot pouring down his nose, tears coming down his eyes. Because he was so excited just to be in the presence of God. That's how much he loved to give. And listen, I am blessed today because he took a stand 70 years ago. The Jesus. Do you know my grandparents bought this property in 1992 and sold it to my dad in 94 who sold it to me just a few years ago? We are all here because of one choice a man made seven decades ago. It says in Proverbs 13, if you obey God, you'll have an inheritance to leave your grandchildren. When we read inheritance, we think that's money. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the blessing. In fact, the Amplified Bible says an inheritance of moral stability. It's not talking about money. The blessing's much more powerful than money. Point number two for your notes covenant of mercy. Covenant of mercy. Deuteronomy 7, 9. God is faithful, He will keep His covenant. Of mercy and show constant love. Here's the big word. To a thousand generations of those who obey Him. It talks about how there's this account up in heaven. And every time we forgive, we're putting favor in the account. Every time we tithe, we're putting favor in the account. Every time we do our best behind closed doors, we'll put favor in our account. And that favor is not just for us. It's for those who come after us. In Psalm 89, God said, I made a covenant of mercy with my man, David, established in heaven. I will protect his seed, that's those that come after him, and show them loving kindness. And here's the best part of this covenant. Even if they do something stupid, I will show them mercy and never abandon them. God says whenever we obey him, he'll watch out for our children, our grandchildren, our great grandchildren. So this is amazing to me. Eleven years after David died. okay, he's been dead. He's been in heaven for 11 years. And, you know, David left his son Solomon millions of dollars, but he left him something more valuable than that. He left him this covenant of mercy. Eleven years after David's death, Solomon just finished building the church, the temple. All around the world, people were going to come worship God. And, and just like today, when we have like a ribbon cutting and you say a little thing, Solomon had this big, long dedication prayer, and all of Israel's there. Everybody's so excited. Toward the very end of his prayer in Second Chronicles six forty two, he said, "Oh God, remember the love and mercies you promised my father." David, when he said those words, fire came down from heaven. The whole temple shone with the most dazzling, brilliant light. No doubt, Solomon pulled the heartstrings of God when he said, remember how much my dad loved you and served you. Twenty three years after David died, he's been gone for 23 years, been up in heaven for over two decades. Solomon did some stupid things. He met this woman that wasn't a Christian, fell in love. She talked him into worshiping false idols. God was so upset. But in First Kings eleven eleven, God said, Solomon, because you have disobeyed my commands, I should take the kingdom away from you. However, I won't do it for your father David's sake. Listen, if you're here today. If your parents, they might have done a lot of stupid things in life. They might, your grandparents might have done something. But if anyone in your family introduced you to Jesus, I don't care how crazy they are. I don't care what they've done. If they introduce you to Jesus, you need to thank them from the bottom of your heart. There's no such thing as a perfect parent. There's no such thing as a perfect grandparent. But whoever brought you to church when you were little, you need to send them a text today. 57 years after David died. He's been gone for 57 years. His grandson Jeroboam took over the throne. Jeroboam did some stupid things as well. God was very upset and in 1 Kings 15:4 God said, "Jeroboam, you deserve judgment. Nevertheless, I'm going to show you mercy for my servant David's Say, do you notice how this covenant of mercy is getting passed down from one generation to the next? All because one person decided to obey God. 305 years after David. I could do this all day long. 305 years after David died. Three centuries. He's been off planet earth. His great, great, great grandson, Hezekiah, is on the throne. Hezekiah is in charge of Israel. And this evil army had surrounded them. And it looked like Israel was goners. They did not have the manpower to fight in this battle. Hezekiah is thinking, man, all that's been done from my ancestors. All the work that's been done since David is all going to get lost in one day. This evil army is going to come in and destroy us and take everything we have. They had no way out. No way And so Hezekiah gets on his knees He says, God, I don't see a way. We need a miracle. It looks like it's not. We're not going to make it. We don't know what's going to happen. And before he could even open up his eyes, one angel comes swooping down from heaven. And in less than a millisecond, that angel destroys 185,000 enemy troops. Israel's eyes get real big. They start jumping and celebrating, dancing and feasting and playing music. Everyone's having a party. I could imagine Hezekiah just kind of walks away from all the festivities and maybe gets alone standing by an oak tree and says, "God, all oh, today was amazing. I, I've never heard in all of history of something of this magnitude. Why, God, what did we do to deserve your favor? In such a miraculous way. And God said, Hezekiah, I love you. I'm proud of you. I appreciate the work you've done for me. But I did not do this miracle for you. You see, there was this man. He's been dead for 305 years. He wasn't a perfect man. He made some mistakes. But he did his very best to honor me and obey me. And I am a faithful God and I always keep my word and I promised this man that I would always watch out for his descendants. 2 Kings 19.34 I said I will protect this city because of the promise I made to my servant David. Can you believe that? 305 years later and God is still keeping his word with one man? If you won't fulfill your destiny for yourself At least do it for the ones that you leave behind. At least do it for the rest of us in here. Point number three is this. Child of Abraham. Child of Abraham. This is an unusual point. Galatians 3.29 says, If you belong to Christ, you're actually Abraham's seed. That's the father of our faith. He had the first covenant with God. And you are heirs of the covenant promises. In other words... If you belong to Christ, it's saying you belong to the right family. And if you belong to the right family, there's some things you get from being part of that family. If your mama was Oprah or your dad was Donald Trump or your dad was Bill Gates. Some of y'all wouldn't like that, but some of you would. You get a lot of faith. You get a lot of things. Okay, listen, your father is the creator of the universe There are some rights and privileges that you get because you are a son and daughter of the Most High God. Um, I don't know if you ever watched the Kentucky Derby racehorses. You know, they're the fastest horses in the world. None of those horses are the, the kind you go to a petting zoo. That's not the kind of horse they have there. These are what they call thoroughbreds. And it's no accident that these horses make it into the Kentucky Derby. The way they get there is there's someone called the blood stock agent. The blood stock agent is someone they hire and this blood stock agent examines not the horse in front of him. He examines the parents of that horse and the grandparents and up to 80 years back, he'll look and see how fast the father was how strong the mother was, how long the stride of the grandparent was, who go all the way back generation because they know winners aren't just, you know, random. Winners aren't just happy. Winners are winners because of what's on the inside. The blood on the inside. And you may look at your family line and think all you see is Mr. Ed. Uh it's in your all the horse okay, you know, whi over. But Jesus said in Matthew twelve, fifty, Whoever obeys my father is my brother and my sister. This means that if God is your father, then Billy Graham is your brother. There's evangelism in your bloodline. This means if God is your father, then Mother Teresa is your sister. That means there's compassion in your bloodline. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. is your brother. There's courage in your bloodline. You're not just drawing from your parents and your grandparents. Remember, you get to go back a thousand generations. In fact, that takes you all the way back. You're still not even. You can, I think it's just I, I, I looked at the math. I think it's like 200 generations or so. Just back to Noah. There's faithfulness in your bloodline. This is the promise from God, a thousand generations. There's joy in your bloodline. You got David. There's wisdom. You got Solomon. There's heroism. You got Esther. There's favor. You have Ruth. There's divine protection. You have Daniel. There's determination. You have Paul. All these people are in your family line. Galatians 3.13 says Christ redeemed us from the curse. Now, I know it's talking about the law, but there's also curses of poverty, divorce. You might have stupidity in your bloodline, but the blessing that was given to Abraham can come to you through Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, I want to read you one story and then I'll, I'll tell you a story. Luke 3.13.11 says there was a woman who was bent over from a demon. She had back now. Not all sicknesses are demonic, but some are. And she had a sickness because of a spirit of infirmity for 18 years. But when Jesus saw her, this is so important. It's so significant. When Jesus saw her, he called to her. Most places in the Gospels, when someone sees Jesus, they call to him. Lord, have mercy. Son of David, have mercy. Son of God, have mercy. Help us, Jesus. That's not this case. Very unusual. There's a woman who's sick and Jesus calls to her. We're going to find out why he did that. He said, woman, you're loose from your infirmity. He laid hands on her and I bolded that so that you would see that that's not something we make up here. When we pray for you, we don't want to mess up your hair, but we do lay hands on your shoulders. And Jesus did that. And it says, immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Verse 15, here's why he called out to her. Ought not this woman be set free from Satan since she is a descendant of Abraham? In other words, Jesus said, because she came from the right family, I'm going to call out to her and heal her and bless her. You know, if you ever wanted to take a horse that you have and and breed it with one of those thoroughbreds, you could do that. It'll cost you a million dollars, though. After you pay the million dollars and your horse and the thoroughbred has a baby. That little colt comes out with its eyes all glazed over, just like all the other colts. Its legs are so weak, it can't even stand up, just like all the other colts. You would think, man, we wasted our million dollars on this thing. But the people that do that, they're never concerned about the present weakness of the colt. They're not concerned with the color of its skin, what it looks like on the outside. They know on the inside, it's got champion after champion after champion in its blood. The same thing is true with us. We don't need to be so concerned with our present weakness. We all struggle. We all have problems. But if you're in church and you're saved and you're a giver and a server, you're growing. You are growing and you're making good decisions for Jesus every single day. So don't be so concerned with your present weakness. The color of your skin, the outside doesn't matter. Some of us are very pretty. Some of us look like Mark, but all of us have the DNA of almighty God on the inside. And that's what matters. That's why we should be set free from any bondage. Satan has in our life. OK, last story. Um, when I was a teenager, uh, I had a big problem with violence. I was always. Looking for a fight and getting into a fight This before I was saved. Um, It was almost, um, whether it was adrenaline or whatever enemy it was that was fighting me, I looked forward to hitting people. Um, I would punch holes in the walls of my house regularly. I would kick doors off of hinges and I would punch dents in my parents' cars. I was a bad, bad teenager. And I did it because I felt like my voice was never heard. Like I'd be going through something and I'd try to communicate it and, and no one would listen to me. And I had pain, I had frustration, and I just couldn't get it out there. I could not, I could not, no one would sit down with me and listen to me. And so I would get so angry, I would just start hitting things and, and punching holes in walls and, you know, things like that. And when I got saved in my 20s, God delivered me of that immediately. I mean, immediately. In fact, he made my heart incredibly tender. Sometimes I think it's too tender sometimes, you know, and so uh, there's no more physical violence. But even when we get saved and God breaks stuff off our life, there's still flesh patterns that we sometimes spend our whole life asking God for help every day. And there was a particular pattern I had where I wouldn't hurt you physically, but I would hurt you verbally. I could kill you in two sentences or less. That's how good or, or bad I was. It's amazing the areas that Satan fights us in are the same areas God wants to use us in. So maybe I became a preacher, and yet my mouth was the worst thing about me as a saved as a saved person. And so, um, and so I, I was just I was just negative, and I could I could you know if, if you did anything I didn't like, I could I could destroy you with my words. I didn't really know I had that problem um, until you know before there were iPhones. Us parents would take big old video cameras, you know, and video our kids' stuff. And so every Christmas, I sat the video camera on the counter and I'd have all five kids out and presents. And we, I, I videotaped every Christmas we ever had, you know, still do to this day. And I always had a rule. Everybody had their trash bag. And after you open a present, all that trash has to be put in the trash bag until you can open up the next one. And I decided to, one, I don't know, one day in the middle of the year, I thought I'm going to watch one of our family videos. And so I watched a video of our previous Christmas. I was so appalled at my mouth. I would say things like, I told you three times to put the trash in the trash bag. What's wrong with you? Can't you do it right? You're not going to open up the next present. I'm not getting you as many presents next year. Can't you? And I, I, was, I, was, I literally felt like I was going to throw up watching this video of myself just a few months before. I had no idea I was like that. I could see. I could see the presence of the room. Uh, just. Ooh. I could see my children's eyes. Just think. We'd rather not even have a present. Like it and in my mind I'm thinking, it's Christmas. What's the big deal? I can clean it all up later. It's just wrapping paper. Who cares? And I thought, please don't let me have been like this all this time. Please, God tell me I haven't always been like this. I was always like that. My mouth. About the same time, one of my sons was going through some anger issues and he was punching holes in walls. Kicking doors off of hinges and putting dents in our cars with his fist. And all this was before I knew anything about my bloodline. I did not know what I shared with you today at this time. We prayed for my son. We went, we talked to a school counselor. We'd come down to the altar. We'd ask the elders to pray. Every Sunday I was on my knees, every day. And all of a sudden, one day, God spoke to me and he said, do you want me to heal your son? I said, yes, I want you to heal my son. God said, well, then let me heal you. I said, but God, it's not me. I said, I've already been healed of that. I need you to heal my son of anger issues. God said, I need to heal you of anger issues if you want your son to be healed of his issues. I said, but I'm not punching holes in the wall. See, a lot of times, if we're humble enough and we look at our children and grandchildren, we'll see what's been inside of us. It might not come out the same way, but the strongholds on the inside and so I called I called Pastor Jeff Dunn of Christ United Church, and he had a, a counselor on staff that was specific in helping pastors. And so I went to her. I went for four months every single week. I did not miss. I said, listen, I said, I'm Pastor John Paul. I said, I said, my son's having anger and God said he wants to heal me. I said, "I don't think I have any anger issues. Well, that, I could, after the first session, I realized, you know, I got I got issues bad. And um, And so little by little, she walked me through these past events in my teenage years where I didn't have a voice and she let me have a voice and she heard me and she listened to me. And and after four months, my mouth was totally healed. My son did not change overnight. But as I began to get healthy, he began to get healthy little by little. You know, some strongholds in our life, they come down the same way they were put up one brick at a time. And we spent four months, and then he started changing little by little by little. And today, he's a totally different person. Today, I'm a totally different person. I told you that. I, I told you that, and I'll close this, because I imagine 305 years from now, I'm in heaven for over three centuries. One of my relatives is going through a tough time, somebody's got cancer somebody needs a job they're going to lose the house something's going on some relationship whatever and my relative gets in a in in his prayer closet and says god i don't see how we're going to come out of this it's so bad god the doctors say it's not going to make the the finances say we can't do it the bank told me they're going to take it god we don't see a way out please god just do something please and my relative comes out of their prayer closet and all of a sudden Someone says, you got a phone call and the focus. Oh, it all worked out. I can't. Be- you said it's all it's all it's all. F- oh, and they say, God, what did we do to deserve this favor in our life today? And God says, I love you. I appreciate what you've done serving me, but I didn't do this for you. Three hundred and five years ago. There was this skinny, good-looking preacher in Myrtle Beach. He wasn't perfect. He had problems. But he did his best to serve me. And every time he fell, he got right back up. And I am a faithful God. And I made a promise to him. 305 years ago, I would always watch out for his seed. So I didn't do this for you. I did that for him. That's the legacy I want to leave to the people that come after me. Okay.